Welcome to You're Making It Worse. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. We're here. We're queer. Uh. Meh. Textual healing. I saw an interesting article in... uh, You read? (laughs) In the New York Times or something. (laughs) Fucking somewhere. Uh, Maybe AOL. No. uh, It was Yahoo News. (laughs) I think that's it. It was. (laughs) Yahoo is oddly very good at curating a news It really is. It's fun news. He's not sponsored But the the United Methodist Church uh, announced a proposal uh, to split the denomination over what it called fundamental differences regarding its beliefs on same-sex marriage and LGBTQ clergy. Uh, The proposal – all right. So basically – it would allow for a traditionalist denomination to separate from the United Methodist Church, which is the second largest Protestant denomination in the U.S. Um, with 12 million members. And the article suggested that they felt that m- most of the United States denominations would stay within the mains, quote, the mainstream United Methodist Church and some of the foreign uh, denominations were a little bit more conservative. They they referenced Africa, Philippines, and an, another country where Methodism Methodists are really gaining steam. And <laughs> uh, but anyway, I just thought it was interesting. It also linked to uh, the Pew uh, Religion Research Study of 2014 that had some really interesting breakdowns because they talked about how Methodists are actually self-identified as quite conservative. That's uh, surprising. It was a 60-30. It was a what is. 55-35 splits. That's 55% Republican, 35 mm-hmm. Democrat. But they uh, accept they, – they believe that gays should be accepted with a huge majority, 60-32. And they also yeah. support gay marriage, 49-43. But ordained pastors are not allowed right now to perform gay weddings. That's right. So they, yeah. it sounds like you know the, the institution of the church is, is reforming slower. But I mean clearly – This has been going on for years For too. years I with mean, the Methodist there's church. There's been cases of, of – uh, what do they call a Methodist pastor priest? I don't know. Whatever they call the head dude, um, uh, archbishop. People I, I being nothing. no, that's Probably, Catholic. Definitely not um, archbishop. Of being yeah. kicked out of the church because they have performed gay weddings, right. or they have you know a gay child in their family, a queer child in their family that they've openly supported. Like there have been instances of in the past. So it's been going. Same with Presbyterians too. I mean, it's 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 be. And what's interesting about these two? I remember when I was being raised Mormon and I was definitely the minority religion. So I would go to some of my friends' churches to see what they were like. And Methodist and Presbyterian are very similar in terms of they're for the most part, especially in the United States here, largely progressive, borderline liberal in some cases, and very accepting of outsiders coming in and joining. And they're also just very similar in terms of theology. And yet they... Presbyterians tend to be a little bit more on the liberal side, more yeah. inclusive when it comes to sort of – and they're then they have a more of a sort of a civil rights bent to them. Methodists tend to be more old school. And I always break this down with the 2008 presidential election because 
Uh, Hillary I love Clinton. that you always break Hillary this down. Clinton, I do, I do. When I talk about this, I'm sure Michael it. loves that. Because break Hillary down. Clinton is Methodist, uh, and right. um, Hillary o- is. Hillary is, and Obama isn't. I believe he's Presbyterian. I'm pretty sure he is. And I remember he's during oh, he's Jewish. He's not. He's Presbyterian. I think. Um, but he's not Methodist. Yeah. And it is. There's this. You can in the sensibilities of how they are as candidates. To me, personifies so much of like what a Methodist is. Mm. You look at Hillary Clinton; sure. she's progressive, she's mostly liberal, but she also like took a long time to support gay marriage and yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of like stodgy on some yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. and that's a Methodist to me. And so this doesn't surprise me that it's 2020 actually, and they it's, still. It's funny that you say that because I remember just becoming political right around the time gay marriage was becoming a political issue. Oh two, oh three, oh four. Let me find out what Obama and, is. Okay, Alan's gonna Google while I'm talking. Um. But I remember <laughs> making a hierarchy of this of the mainstream Protestant denominations from liberal to conservative. Mm-hmm. And it was always everyone knows Episcopalians are like the most open minded. Yes. I mean, we're talking very broad strokes. Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist. Oh, Lutheran. See, Lutheran to me is always they seem more conservative well you didn't look at the stats that i sent uh because statistically speaking that's not true but uh, episcopalians are the most chill episcopalians were were way ahead of the game it's also i think the smallest sort of big denomination yeah in the country but uh, my best friend was episcopalian growing up and they were like when you hear episcopalian especially i would imagine in a big city it usually means like kind of a hippie christian yeah these, these were hippies yeah but in my hometown of ann arbor there are there's a baptist church now that has a rainbow flag Hanging out, Re- a Baptist church. A Baptist church. I mean, wow. only You're in a college town. Southern Baptist. And yes, that's I northern. am. So Southern Baptist tends to be a bit more conservative than <clears throat> sure. Northern Midwest. Baptist. But still, Baptists are Baptists. Baptists are Baptists. You know, You're right. It should also be added too that you know this is this is not insignificant in, in the terms of like the finances because under the plan, the General Council of Finance and Administration for um, the church would provide twenty five million dollars to the new denomination over four years and a new conservative sort of offshoot yes to, and to yeah and local churches would be able to choose whether or not they want to participate do you um, ever wonder how, how like you ever drive past a church um a small church mm-hmm. in your hometown on the outskirts of town and you're like how do they fucking pay the rent it's a great question i am well, so fascinated I mean, which is that's what not i was taxed right uh, no, they aren't taxed. They're not taxed um, but that's one thing that I was heating. thinking about when you were when we were going over this, because when a church sort of breaks and there are these two wings, like there is an umbrella organization for a lot of these churches, a lot of these religions, even within the reform movement of Judaism, like there is a reform organization that sort of helps fund and hire rabbis for temples and stuff. So like there is a larger sort of corporate, if you will, yeah. organization that deals with the money Mm. and they really are the ones keeping the churches open i think especially nowadays when church uh and just religious attendance is very low that the 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 over sort of funding is more important it's so it's just fascinating i was in um the Bahamanian island of Yaluthera (laughs) over the holidays never can never quits bragging i know (laughs) never does and uh it was very depressed that you know the island is quite depressed and to drive past this church that literally looks like, you know, it was just built almost out of like nothing, you know, mm-hmm. it's so it's empty. There's nothing to it. And it just it just sits there on the side of the road. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to think how a building, yeah. you know, can be fit. There's so much that can be 
projected onto that building, yeah, yeah, yeah. what goes inside that building. It's like, you know, and it's all it's all um you know, imagined basically. Right. It's you know, it's nothing tactile. Right. It's fascinating to think about it that way. God, I'm so smart. You like, really how are. How could you not want to fall in love with me? I'm well, so probably smart. You thoughtful. travel to places like where did he go? Urethra. Urethra. He probably sat on four dicks <laughs> in a day. Not even joking. Our guest, Davis Mallory. Well, what, what, how do you specify your music? So I moved to Nashville and I started writing country in my first two years. But then I started contacting DJs outside of Nashville and giving them my country songs and mm-hmm. having them like remix them. And then that's when I started finding success. So I kind of call it a blend between country and dance. Like oh, all oh, of my music, if you listen nice. to it on Spotify, is very dance driven. Like DJs mm-hmm. touched it in some way. But in its origination, it was once like a country sounding song. Yeah. And then I really, in the last two years, kind of abandoned country completely. I listen, When Prince died, I was like only listening to his music. And then I started just writing like really more pop records. And you wouldn't even think it was a country song. Right. Mm. Are but you from the South? I'm from Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Oh. That's why you're wearing the hat. Yeah. Also, and I love the sound your jacket. <laughs> That's makes. what I it's like. It's like a leather jacket. And you're like, I'm from to the Tennessee. Real yeah, yeah. And uh, I've had family in Tennessee since I was a child. Like my uncles and grandmother lived there. Okay. So it's been a. Did you ever go home. to Dollywood? I've been. Yeah. And it's I've so been fun, to isn't Graceland it? Graceland too. I love Graceland. We used to stop there always yeah. on the way to Florida. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. Is is working in country music? I mean, in country music in Nashville is obviously such a huge industry. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like I think, you know, from my small perspective it seems like the music industry seems to be in LA, New York and Nashville. Yeah. And I have no, you know, Minneapolis. Well, I mean, <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> sure. But in Nashville that's where country music lives. Yeah, and songwriters. And songwriters. Okay. So does yeah. that as a gay guy do you feel a semblance of do you feel anything there? that is impacted by your sexuality at all? Like professionally speaking? I mean, at first when I got there, I felt like a little bit of an oddball. And Mm. through time, I felt like I was actually like a part of a crowd. And now, then the crowd started moving here. But of gay artists and gay singers and gay like pop people, there's some, but now they're starting to move out here, like I said. Mm. So in the last like two years, I was like, oh, wow, there's like a clique of guys that are all kind of on the same goals. Hmm. Like we're singers and we write and some of them are Belmont, which is a music school there, student mm. graduates, or like, sometimes some people say Nashville is kind of like the elementary school for an artist. You go there and you write your first song, you play your first stage, you're starting to figure out your brand identity, and then maybe something takes you here or New York or someplace else. It's like kind of like where you start out. Right. If you're doing pop. What's it like being an out gay writer in country music? Working with well, I mean, straight people. Probably. There's some heroes in that industry. If you think of Shane McAnally, who's mm-hmm. written for Casey Musgraves and mm-hmm. Sam Hunt and a list of other people. Sam He's, Hunt is gay? What? No, no, Shane McAnally is a gay writer. Oh, okay. And he has a, oh, hus- God, he has God, a husband, right. but he's written for some big names. Right. And he's kind of a hero in the town. And so I feel like having him in Nashville makes it be somewhat normal to be a gay songwriter. And oh, really? Respected and admired for. What's the community like? Are there a lot of other sort of gay musicians, queer musicians in general? There like- are. I mean, Ty Herndon is a big name in town. He's mm-hmm. kind of an older man that had had a hit songs in the maybe 90s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And he does an event every year during country music festival called um, the concert for love and acceptance and he brings together openly gay artists and then allies to play a concert 
during CMA Fest, which was like our mm-hmm. big mu- country music festival. So that's a great moment mm-hmm. in time, and I've gone the last two years to it. Yeah. Um, and then Nashville in general is becoming like kind of a little LA or a little New York. It really does yeah. feel it's like super that. growing. Yeah. Like yeah. they say, it's one of the big fastest growing cities in America. And we just put like a dream hotel and a Soho house is coming. Mm. So yeah. it's developing that kind of chic I, style. I've been to Nashville style. a bunch of times as yeah. an adult, as a gay homosexual adult male, mm. and I have to say it is the one city. Well, yeah, one one of the cities, maybe New Orleans equals this, where I can openly eat so much barbecue and mm. like go to town on food, and not one gay dude's judging me. <laughs> I feel I, I feel like I'm like accepted. It's like mm. just eat the shit out of it, mm. and it's like I'm applauded. Whereas like here, it's like you need to stop. <laughs> yeah. I've seen you eat a lot of food. I've never kicked you out of my house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I definitely put on some some weight when I got to Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Well, I moved from New York to Nashville, and in New York, oh. I was walking everywhere. And when yeah. I got to Nashville, I was driving everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I had to try out all the barbecue. Do you drive a truck? No, I drive a Honda. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cool. If so so moving from New York to Nashville, like, so you you did, but you really, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it doesn't f- sound like you felt that you got there and you were met with much. I don't know. Uh, um, Opposition? I don't, yeah, for, as, a, as a queer person. You know, I, I've gone to Nashville since I was a little kid because my grandparents and my uncles and aunts lived there, and I never wanted to move there. It always mm-hmm. was sort of like thought in my mind as like the Christian music industry and the country mm-hmm. music industry. It felt kind of boring. And my dad had taken a job in 2012 as the director of a music venue. And at that time in my life, I was living in New York, and I was working for Capitol Records in their marketing department for mm-hmm. a label that was known to have David Guetta and Kylie Minogue and Swedish House Mafia. Yeah. So my life was spent like going to a lot of DJ shows, and I actually took DJ lessons to become mm-hmm. a DJ. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But I always like really wanted to be a singer. And like one of the things about working at a record label is you're not supposed to tell your Coworkers, you're a singer. Right, it's like yeah. frowned upon. <laughs> wow. But in, inside of me, it was just eating me up because, like, I knew I could sing and you I really to wanted come out to. Again, and yeah, uh, right. I met an artist who his manager listened to my me singing and he was like, "You might do well in Nashville. You have like a little Southern style to you. Have uh-huh. you ever thought about going down to Nashville?" And I called my dad up around that same time and I was like, "Dad, I've been told to come check out Nashville." And I actually left my job and moved in with my dad, and oh, got wow. my life started in Nashville <laughs> wow, in that's 2013. Amazing. What was your family like with with you being gay? My dad and my mom are they're divorced and they're remarried, and my dad was a little less hard on me about it than my mom was. Mm. I, I wonder sometimes if men have less of like a, well, why are you attracted to men thoughts than women would have because mm-hmm. they are women and they like want you to be attracted to them. Yeah. So I think my mom was always like, why are you attracted to, you know, why aren't you attracted Disgusting to men? Us? Yeah. Why aren't you attracted to women? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And she still prays that I'll meet this woman, this hypothetical perfect <laughs> wife that will convince, you know. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I would be okay with that. It's just like, don't get sexually. I mean, I, I I really love the company of a woman. I love the way that she'll a woman will uplift me and like men sometimes compete with each other. So yeah. there's almost like a woman's like there to like make you go further and like mm-hmm. you know they call it toxic masculinity. That's yeah. right. Right. And in a, in a male male relationship, sometimes there's like kind of. I mean, some sometimes a man's going to be like you know, wants the best for you and you want the best for them and they're a team and they're lifting you up. But sometimes male-male relationships can have that, like... It's like competitive. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that. So. You yeah. also were open, openly out on The Real World. Yes. Which, which season of The Real World were you on? I did the season um, in 2006 that was in Denver. 
Right. Oh, oh Denver. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I stopped watching, I think, with New Orleans. <coughs> yeah. That was my last season because of the guy. Danny. The, Danny. Yep. That's like um, 1996. <laughs> no. No, was it? No, New Orleans was like 98. It was in late 90s. Maybe yeah, late 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was it like? I mean, the <laughs You were the world... only gay person on the show, right? Mm-hmm. What year was that? 2006. Okay. 2006. How did you... Oh, wow. okay. What... What made you want to do that? What was that like? When I was in high school, I watched the season in Chicago with uh-huh. the two gay characters. That Me was too. a good season. Karamo. The 9-11 season. Yeah. Karamo? I think it was Philadelphia was Karamo. So Philadelphia was Karamo, but then Chicago. Your favorite. Yeah. Karamo yeah, was on The Real World? Uh-huh. Karamo was him. on Philadelphia. <laughs> Chris Beckman was on Chicago. Chris Beckman. And I realized that he made me feel like being gay was could you could be masculine. Which right. one was Chris? Wait, right. what, what season he, was that? He was kind of a quieter Chicago. guy and didn't Chicago. make like a okay. big splash in any sort of drama, yeah. for example. But he just was good looking. It was the Hawaii he was, he was one that almost never everyone. around. Yeah, he yeah. would literally leave because he's like, I'm just gonna go to the gym. I love the Hawaii. What was the <laughs> guys in Hawaii? Justin. That, and they also there's a bi woman that season too, right? Or she was like, yeah. But he, Justin, season. Justin was a turner because at the beginning of the season he was quiet. He was turned out to be evil. I remember I stopped watching when Vegas came. Around and it was like that was to me that was the moment when they started casting people that to just wanted hot to tubs. fight yeah. Yeah. and to go on hot, hot, hot tubs. Yeah. That's when I so tuned out. How old were you when jealous. you went on? How um twenty one when I started going Whoa. through the process and I had just come out that year. Oh so it was like God. it was all like very back to back. What 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 in, what inspired you to do the show? Like I mean, you saw, Chris. I hate to admit it, but I was angry at my mom. Yeah, okay. And I'd come out to my family as like a. I mean, my family had known I was gay since I was young. Because uh, I did actually go, we were talking about this out in the lobby, but I went through the conversion therapy as well. Oh, um, and so, like, and my parents didn't put me in it out of a, like, we are trying to be mean to you space. They thought it was actually the right thing to do for a gay kid yeah. who was trying to figure out his sexuality in a world that wasn't really cool with it back then. Mm-hmm. So mine was like, my parents were like, we're trying to help me, not, you mm. know, in their own mind. And it was often also, it wasn't built or build as conversion therapy. It was really... build as therapy. Yeah. And it then in retrospect, yeah. you see how toxic it was and actually yeah, was conversion it was, therapy. The goal was to make me straight. Yeah. Exactly. Someday I wouldn't need to go anymore. Yeah. Um was it a, a an actual therapist or was it like a a, a minister? It was a therapist. Uh-huh. So my grandfather is a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and he owned a psychiatric practice so I, at first I saw somebody in his practice mm-hmm. and then like in my high school years that was when I was like little like maybe 10 or so because my parents knew Excuse? that that wow year. but then in my high school years I went a, a second go around um and we focused a lot on my relationship with my father <laughs> during mm-hmm. that one because we felt like he was like the reason I was gay daddy issues yeah and <laughs> we actually called him in for one of the sessions Write a song no. about it. Yeah. your dad wait c- yeah. can I ask about uh, what is if you don't mind me asking first of all uh, I'm surprised that your family or you would have known you were gay by 10. That's so young. Well, I, mean, I had attraction to other men that I didn't know was wrong, so I just like shared it to my family because yeah. I didn't know anything that was weird about that. Huh. And I remember telling my mom that and her being like, her reaction was kind of like, and this is my perception as a kid, so it could be fuzzy because it was a long time ago, but I just remember mm-hmm. like sensing that I'd said something I shouldn't have said. Yeah, definitely. And then after that, I was like, maybe I shouldn't tell anyone else this because, um, and then... Yeah, my parents got divorced when I was like 12 or or maybe, no, even earlier than that. So it was also sort of like going through divorce yeah. therapy. And in that divorce therapy was also like my gay therapy in the same year because that was like the year I was realizing it. Well, yeah. What is conversion therapy like for a 10-year-old? 
It wasn't conversion therapy. Yeah, then. it's not. But it was more of a conversion therapy when I was in high school because at high school that's when I was like really dealing with same sex attraction as they were calling it back then, and you know that's when I realized that's when I really like I sat in a support group of other gay guys and we all shared our experiences. We did a set like I said did a whole day about my relationship with my father and trying to get from him what the thought was that I was looking for in a man as a same sex uh-huh. experience. Uh-huh. Like if I could patch that relationship with my dad, then I wouldn't need mm. to be in a relationship. The with language him. around conversion therapy and the reason why I was was saying when you brought being 10 and like even going through divorce therapy and stuff like that, <clears throat> even for me, it's like, it's not, it's not conversion therapy build as that at least it's not it, really titled that it's not titled that and it's sort of it's almost subversive in that it's like the mormon teacher coming to me and talking to me about my lips being red or my nails being pink and them thinking i'm wearing makeup at eight years old when in reality they were just wanting to usher me shame me and probably through therapy later on into getting away from that same in divorce in divorce therapy too my parents were divorced and they talked about me playing with dolls and if that was influenced by my father and missing my father and all these different things and trying to get me to stop playing with dolls and it was like that is a form of conversion therapy but it's not directly conversion therapy it's not like there's a sign that says this is conversion therapy for 10 year olds it's like there's something wrong about this child wrong quote unquote about this child and we have to talk it out and, and fix it. And it's harmful in, in retrospect and in the long form, but it was seen as just sort of normal in a way, which is not normal at all. I'm surprised your grandfather, like, didn't blanch at the idea of, like... As a psychiatrist. Yeah, as a psychiatrist. You, you think Conversion. of it as, like, a very liberal profession. Yeah, right, because yeah. He was and is a Christian psychiatrist. Oh. So he also has, like, a Christian basis in believing that homosexuality is a sinful oh, wow. activity. Even I didn't though know that was the a thing. American yeah. Psychiatric Association says it's not. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. So you auditioned for the real world. For real world. To get based, based off the fact that I'd come out to my peers in college, and my mom was like very upset that it it finally had leaked itself to all my peers because up until that point in my life, it had just been a family known secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even my siblings didn't really know mm. at that point in time. Where'd you go to college? Florida, a school called Stetson. Okay. okay. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you get so you went so you auditioned for the real world Denver literally to get back at your parents. To in get back sense, at your mom. In a sense, yeah. Cause then you were out on the show and you were you were kind of were you the villain? I wasn't the villain, but I got in a fight on the very first night with another character who it was all just alcohol related fighting because mm. we were in Denver they call it the Mile High City and you shouldn't drink as much alcohol as oh, you're it's so used to in your hometowns because yeah. you get drunker quicker and I got in a drunk fight on the first night what was the fight about the characters. Oh, wow. the, he had gotten in a fight at the bar with local people and he came home angry at me because I wasn't there to back him up oh. but I had left hours ago because I was too drunk and I didn't even know and you know I mean, here some, someone comes home angry at me and I wasn't out so I really didn't know what he was angry about mm. and I was very drunk so at first I was confused. I was trying to catch up, to like what happened. Yeah. And then I got angry that he was angry at me. So then yeah. it flipped because yeah. after a while he was calling me names. He wasn't letting down. I felt like he was being unreasonable, and I'm drunk. It yeah. just have you been in a fight before that? <laughs> I had once in college gotten in a fight with a guy, oh, okay. and I punched him or he punched me oh. back. I think. <laughs> oh my How god! How did the other castmates uh, handle you being out? There, at first, I didn't out myself, so there was a whole com- day about, where's there a gay guy? Why don't we have a gay guy? And um, one of the girls had a friend in common with me, so she knew I was gay and confided in me that, like, I know you're gay. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I haven't told everyone yet. Do you mind just letting me do it in my own time? So she allowed it. Was that on camera? Yeah, it was on camera. Mm. Um, it was definitely on camera. Wow. <laughs> yeah. it's like... Eventually, I felt that it was ready, and I told everyone I was gay. Um, one of the girls, who is still my friend, she lives in Nashville as well, and I see her monthly, sometimes weekly, had a, developed sort of a crush on me. I mean, mm. she still has a crush on me. She the would hat. love it's it if I would give her a child, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> and so the, se- the, whole, the whole show... Maybe she's the one. Focused, she's, maybe she's for your the one you've been looking for. Yeah, focused yeah. on like Just our, on that our flirtatious relationship became a side story. Yeah. But they, uh, they reacted well? Well, there was a character cast, I think, specifically to be opposite me because he was very religious, and they knew that he was sort of homophobic, perhaps. They knew that. I don't know if that they yeah. did know that, but they cast they us yeah. to be yeah. kind of conversing about that, and we, we talked a lot about that because we both went to church together, which blew his mind that I could yeah. be gay and go to church. Like, yeah. he didn't think that those two things happened. Well, that's what I think a lot, of, a lot of people, especially from that area of the country, Midwest, South, and especially Christian conservative fundamentalists in some areas where gay people, gay Southerners in the, of that era or of that area can actually relate to people who are so opposite them because you know the language on how to communicate with these people in a way that people who that are I just appalled yeah, by. Yeah, yeah. Like any like how would a psychiatrist have a be Christian and, and think that homosexuality is bad? That that goes against the teachings of science. Yeah. And yet you get the language of how there is there are Christian therapist organizations in the South. There are Christian psychiatrists that only deal with Christians. Like and you know how to communicate, even though you also think some that their beliefs are kind of crazy. Yeah. It's just so alien to me as like an annoying Jewish New Yorker. I'm like, <laughs> the what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it just doesn't even like. But cross in my the mind. Jewish community, do you have the same beliefs about homosexuality that the no. Christians? Share? Well, no, that's no. yes, they're they're in Orthodox in, in, in and the, in the, yeah, in the crazy in the, in the Orthodox. The, like, I went to Tel Aviv last summer and mm-hmm. I was amazed at how openly gay that city oh, is. Oh, very much. In so, a place yeah. where I would have thought it'd be like stoned for being Jews gay. are, unless you're like I would say Orthodox or Hasid, as Hasidics are. They don't. They like sure. to live in like a shtetl well, in, in Israel, the past. In Israel, but... it's really only Tel Aviv yeah. that it's it's okay. It's like that. You go to yeah. Jerusalem and it's you have to walk through an alley to get to the one gay bar that's in Jerusalem. So yeah. like it's a bit different than the rest yeah. of the country. But yeah, yeah. American Jews for the most part tend to be quite liberal. American and... Jews just want you to be Jewish. <laughs> yeah, they're like <laughs> no, they don't because I tried to become Jewish. It's it's hard to become. Jewish. I converted. What? It's I can like, help I... you with. Yeah, this. well, I was dating a guy from Israel and we were working on how to make this work. And I was like, well, I'll become Jewish, then I can get you know. I forget the term right now, but there's some term where you can go move to Israel because yeah, you're Jewish. Yeah, uh, Aliyah. Aliyah, yeah. I was yeah. going to try to get it. But it was like two years for me to become Jewish. Like oh, with what? Christians, they want you to become <laughs> oh. a Christian. Right then, you wouldn't, walk up on stage, you're I a Christian tonight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jews, wouldn't, your parents, like, wouldn't, your, wouldn't your family have gone nuts if you converted to Judaism? Well, He's my, already gay. My basis of the thought was that Jesus, who our religion is based around, was Jewish as well. So me becoming Jewish is not denouncing anything about him. It's just like understanding his religion. I'm oh, sure she'd agree. Mm, yeah, I'm sure you're, she'd you're agree. Don't be happy. Definitely. If you, that's, why, that's why you couldn't convert, because any Jew who heard that sentence would be like, no Jews Wait, for did, Jesus. Did she know? No. Did she know you were dating him? Yeah, and he lived we in didn't Israel. Really talk about it much. Yeah. So I went to Israel two summers ago, and it was like a, it was a weird series of events where I was flying standby 
I was there for four days, showed up at the airport. I couldn't get on the standby ticket, even though there was eight open seats, because all these people were shipping their things back to America. It made the flight too heavy. Yeah. Mm. Came the next day, the same story was told to me. <laughs> They're like, you're better off just buying a ticket. And prices were so expensive that short minute, so I extended my trip for a week, and I met him that next day. And then the oh next week was like one of the most amazing love stories of my life. Like, <laughs> we never separated. He took me all over to the Dead Sea, to Jerusalem. Oh, we like, and he lived there. And yeah, he was Israeli. Oh, yeah. wow. And he was amazing. He was an artist. He was a singer. So we had bonded over our like shared dreams for ourselves. Yeah. And then I went, he tried to get um, a visa to come visit me, but they're very strict on allowing Israelis to leave the country. Mm-hmm. They interview you before they let you. And he failed his interview to get to come and visit me. Oh, oh wow. Which I was told because he's young and he was just out of the military, they think that people in that demographic are going to flee Israel and not return. Mm. And so they don't often say yes to them unless oh, they have like a business ex- reason or they're going to college or something. Yeah. And they need to prove they're returning. And he couldn't really prove that he was returning. So they rejected wow. his application. So then I had to go back. And so then I I went back, which was not a pain because I loved it there. Yeah. And I went back and visited him. But then on our second trip, we just realized it wasn't going to work out. Like mm. our age differences were big and there was like cheating that had gone on. He calls it that not quickly? cheating. <laughs> well, we also hadn't seen each other for three months. Oh, so sure, he was like, sure, it wasn't yeah. cheating. We were, how was, you know, it was just like, there was like some just, there's like hurt that had happened yeah. within those three months. And I was, I showed up harboring hurt. We just realized after the next trip that it wasn't meant to be. Mm. We're still friends, and I hear from him about once a week, and he's a big fan of my music, and like, yeah, he's an advocate for what I'm doing. You'll always have television. So, <laughs> yeah. Wait, and when did you, you? You're sober. Yep. Did you get sober as a result of the real world? I should have. I was mm. sober for part of the real world because of that fight I mentioned earlier, mm. and then peer pressure and just being a 21 year old. Like mm. I didn't yeah. last very yeah, long. 21, sober out. But, uh, you know, alcoholism has been the thing that's in my family. My father's like 10 or more years sober. And I always knew that if I was going to, you know, if I had what he had, I should probably become sober. But I needed to test it and see. And so I did a lot of my drinking. And um, I knew in my early 20s and even I knew at at like 18 that I couldn't drink because I would black out. Oh, wow. And like some people never do that. But it would almost always happen to me when I would drink. Huh. So. Um, And have you done... Have you done like the challenges or whatever? I did three. You did three. You did three oh of the God. challenges. Wow. Yeah. What were they like? They the first one, which was kind of my favorite, was in South Africa, <clears throat> out wow. of the Inferno. Mm-hmm. But I got punched in the face by CT on the very first day. <laughs> Why? Which people per- perceived is like a homophobic thing because there's a rumor that he's gay. Yeah. And he never spoke to me on the flight there. Well, other people who who had never you know met me were speaking to me, and then the first thing he did when he finally had the chance to talk to me is asking if I could take a punch, and then punched me in the face. That's oh. insane. What? While he was drunk, that CT is, is how from what I remember punch. is a lunatic. Yeah, he's Wait, like a Bostonian. On my second like a... challenge, oh, he's the wrestler. No, he, that's the Miz. He came oh. back and punched someone else, like, and he got kicked off. Yeah, he was well, violent. Yeah. So it was like, he's just a time bomb, and he was. I don't know what did he's Did you work like with today. the Miz at all? <laughs> I don't know Elliot's... that we ever did a challenge together, but <laughs> I've met him once. Did you I win a lot of money Miz. on the challenges? <laughs> I didn't. Did you ever I... have to get naked? I didn't. I feel like on the... I remember watching Road World's Real World Challenges and stuff. There'd always be these weird challenges where, like, they'd have to wear something or there's, like, something weird happen. It would be kind of nude, but not totally nude. And I don't know. Teenage me would be like, let's pause it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I want to see Summer the Summer break. Jiggle. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Davis, uh, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you for having me here. Uh, where can people find you online? 
Well, I mean, my music is on Spotify um, <laughs> and as Davis Mallory. And then, of course, that's my name. So look me up on all. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where I am. Every, that's what I am on everything. Thanks so much for doing yeah, this. Yeah, I appreciate you having yeah. me. Of course. This was a blast. And another thing. So recently I uh, have been just very frustrated with with uh, grinder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Shocker. If, if I may share what we were sure. talking about, Brenton was like, "Well, why don't you like, you know, age age your age down a little bit and turn your age down, yeah. Turn your age down." And I just was I You've been 40, 21 for he years. Has 48 on his profile. <laughs> yeah. 48? Yeah, you're 48 on your profile. Yeah, 48. No, I mean I'm 36, 36. Well, you can't you can't start a segment about aging and then forget how old you I are. I'm 36. <laughs> yeah, I'm 36, and I I haven't like thought I have, I don't know I haven't thought too much into it, but then I don't know I just it, it you it were very right, so you me. were very hesitant. Yeah, very for, hesitant. For the, all right, so for the last I mean I, I we we've talked about this a billion times in the podcast, but very very briefly. You know, I'm convinced that Grindr is making everyone infinitely more selective. But regardless of that, everyone is also aging. And you yeah. and I are at an <clears throat> hitting a point where we're starting to age a little bit older than, I think, the normal demographic for a lot of people that use it Yeah, in Los Angeles. I think there's a, there's a gap there between when you're not, like, you're not the young gay, meaning yeah. the 20s, right. early 30s, and you're also not quite the, I hate, necessarily using right. this language but the daddy type that is the right. 40s 50s type right mm. you're in that weird bubble of just being normal so i told yeah. elliot yeah. i'm like you should you should just bump your age down a couple of years not so much that someone would be appalled or that you yeah whenever i do it i always do the math in my head of what year i would have been born in uh yeah if, if someone I would say you're 33 you on it that's a great but number you were very resistant to do yeah, it at yeah. first and then i guess recently... i feel like i shouldn't feel i shouldn't feel ashamed yeah. Of 36. Well, I don't think you should make a capital no. case of it, but I do think that, you know, Grinder. It is not... literally filling me with like anxiety and dread right now. Well, exactly, Why? because Why? then it start, you start thinking about Shame. your actual self getting older yes. and what that yeah. means within the grand scheme of things. And I feel that too. I mean, I feel it like on a less sort of gay angle, well, sort of on a gay angle. Professionally, I feel like I'm getting older, but nothing's changing and and there is this sort of you know am i going to be struggling in my 40s right. professionally sure i don't feel like i'm struggling professionally now but like and and then even in drag now like getting doing more drag and getting out there and performing more just being sadie more i feel older but i also feel like <clears throat> more of a professional like i know what the fuck i'm doing because of the years i've put in yeah. through comedy and whatnot that now starting this quote unquote new career I know more, but I also feel very old. Yeah, it's, it's, and I wonder if being gay uh, impedes that more than it might if you were straight. Because I, because I, I certainly felt impeded in think and having to stop and really think about it. I think marginalized people in general, gay women, I was gonna say women. I uh, think really, really. I think absolutely. in general, women, yeah. you know, we're tokenized in a way that we're only valued when we're a certain age or at a certain point in our lives, and. And I think that that narrative, I mean, you see it on, I mean, I have to go back to the drag, on no, drag was, race all the time, say, yeah. where, you know, you the only queens getting cast are like in their 20s, and yet you have professional queens who are working and doing great stuff who are in their late 30s, 40s, and and there is this sort of juxtaposition. And it's the same with Grindr, I, I, I and it's the say, same- I just want to point one thing out. Yeah. 
I know I'm super sensitive. I know I <laughs> pick and choose things that just like affect me deeply. But there was um, an intro of a queen on Drag Race, and I forget who it was. But she introduced herself in, out of drag, you know, mm-hmm. to like the confessional kind of booth yeah. thing <clears throat> to camera, introduced himself. And he was like, I'm, <laughs> I think he said, I'm like, you know, 26. And he was actually like, I think he oh, was 50. Oh, that was Sugarcane. Um, it was, yeah, I know oh. exactly what you're saying. He, he, but he's, he's 51 or something? No, he's like 40 no, he's something, 40. But he's, they, he they, just turned 40. But I they think. did this thing with the number where they made that cranky, like, yeah. door opening sound and changed oh, yeah, the number yeah. to 40 whatever. He set it, it up sort of being me. like a funny joke about his age. And then he was like, do I have to say it? Like in a funny way. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then he said his real age. And the sound effect, hit, it, it yeah. hurt me. There is a lot, of, there's a lot of shame in lots of communities, but I think because this Straight is- Straight white men, too, can be is, afraid of getting old. Of, of course, course. Yes. yes. But because this is, you know, a queer pod, queer comedy right, podcast, right. like- I think there is uniquely a problem, an uncomfortable problem with getting older in the queer community yeah. in general. Yeah. And it may, I, I, my heart truly aches because I feel so bad when people, especially younger people, talk about gay men yeah. in their 40s as if they're really old. It's, I mean, I find it jarring and uh, uh, really, I mean, yeah, so, I, I, so unkind. To be, I think to be fair... I think if you talk to a 25-year-old girl, yeah, uh, 25-year-old boy, wh- man, whatever, and you referenced someone in their 40s, I think, yeah, it's it's sort of this world of difference yeah, when you're in your true. 20s. I guess that could be and true. And you're thinking of someone in their 40s. I think it can be 40s. true. I, I, I actually don't, <clears throat> like, I think of, like, you know, in my situation, I'm 37, and um, so many people are surprised by that. <laughs> and I... I <laughs> snorted, <laughs> and it's because of the face I made. And I, um, I, uh, but Michael is nine years younger than me, and so many of our friends, you know, are in their twenties, in their mid, late, early, sometimes twenties, and they, um, and yet I still am able to relate with them, but not in like a I'm older way, but in a sort of like. Yeah, I got my shit together, yeah. and I know who I am, yeah. and I I feel very confident in who I am, and and settled, and in doing that, I don't need to put on this pretense for this person who is younger than me because at the end of the day, yeah, you have age and you have all these things, but I'm gonna be the one that's gonna have a home to go to, and I'm not yeah. gonna be falling on my face drunk, right. like you know what I mean? Like I I have my shit together, yeah, I, I love, and I take yeah. value in that. Thirty you know, provided that that security, but his blanket. friends and our friends in general who are that age. And I, this is where I differ with sort of a 25-year-old looking in their 40s. You know, I, so many of of our friends that we've made since Michael has moved here um, who are in their, like, mid-20s, they don't, I think, look at me as being 10, 12 years older than them. I wouldn't they, think so. There is there, – and even – you've met many of them. Yeah. There's not much of – there's not an intellectual or – it feels like an old separation, no, old doesn't. young separation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think something either is changing or – it might in the gay world exist almost uniquely in a gay white male situation. And also it exists within grinder dating platform situations more than any other area. Sure. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. It's tough. You know, get it. I remember when How I first started doing. How old are you on doing, uh, I don't, I'm not using grinder right now. If you uh, were, though, how old would you be? It ranges. <laughs> oh, really? You change it? I change it. Well, because I'm always deleting my profile, then I make a new one the next day. But um, 
I usually I, I I always say that my Tinder age is two years younger than my real age, and I and I keep it I keep it tight because I uh, I don't want th- sort of what you're talking about. I kind of I'm vain and vapid enough to be like I want to be amongst the younger people, mm-hmm. but I also don't want someone to show up and be like you're not <laughs> you're not 29. That happened to me. Right on a and, hookup years and, ago. Uh, that would be, I think, destructive. So I always, I always usually cut two or three years down. Am I naive and... to also stop and think like, I wouldn't look. I know I'm your friend, so maybe I'm biased. Maybe I am <clears throat> truly like, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of you as as somebody looking at you and being like, oh, you're so much older than you. Well, than you said you thank are. you very much, Mr. Glazer. I appreciate that, and <laughs> yeah. quite frankly, I agree. But. Uh... <laughs> No, but you know, it's I. Th- that has always been my fear: is that mm-hmm. I would show up and someone would be like, "Oh, you're not the age I, that you said you are." I are. also wonder, and this is I also <clears throat> could sound like a monster for this too, but I do wonder if it's a city thing and also a thing about if you've had kids, because I feel like if you've had kids, what do you mean? Meaning like people who have had kids who are our age can uh-huh. tend to look older, oh. or if I think about people from where I grew up in Long Island, yeah, they look. Much older than me. You're now. right. Yes, and that happened quite early. Where in their twenties and thirties, they looked they were in their forties. There mm-hmm. is a perpetual adolescence that comes from living in an urban area. I, guess I think, so. and <clears throat> even if you do live in an urban area and you have a child, I still think, like I think of my best friend Blythe, who I went to high school with, and she just had a baby, and mm. we're the exact same age, and like she doesn't look like you know. She's older than she is. She mm-hmm. looks like a young New York, yeah. really professional, smart edit- editor in New York. And that's who she looks. And she just happens to have a baby. And she's just really cool and lives yeah. in Prospect Park and whatever. Yeah. And and But I have friends in St. Louis, or out to St. Louis where I'm from, who they look so much older than they yeah. are yes, because they've had so many kids and they whatever they i don't i don't want to say they've let themselves go but they have aged into I definitely think when i lived in williamsburg which is you know the heart of hipster brooklyn yeah. in the aughts is when i lived there you know there was there was everyone kind of looked the part yeah and for better or worse i i embraced that and so it made me start going to the gym it made me cut my hair a certain way and dress a certain way and <clears throat> when I go back to Michigan, I think there's lots of great, beautiful people in Michigan, but there mm-hmm. isn't that kind of, frankly, youthfulness, peer pressure yes. to okay. be super fit, fit. Or really like, really wearing like tight clothes, tight dress clothes a certain and, way, like, or, dress, yeah. and have a very distinct sense of unique style, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And so I totally understand why my dad wears. Jinkos, basically. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Because he doesn't care. You I know, know. I love the looks I get at the mall when I go back to St. Louis. I'm walking around in basically like a, a baggy onesie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what I'm wearing today: a baggy onesie with a right. leopard print shirt and a denim jacket, and, I, right. and like and uh, platform shoes. And I right. look ridiculous, right. but at the same time, I feel great and I feel very much like myself. But I don't look like the other people my age. Right. Do you know what there. the beauty of it is, though, Elliot? <clears throat> this is something. It's it's not very common that I've. Someone will say something like, you're too old or something on these apps. But the one beauty of it is unequivocally, no matter what, they will be in your shoes one day. Yes. The person right. the person who maybe makes you feel like shit or the, peop- the younger people five years young- younger than us. And mm-hmm. there's probably people five years older than us listening to this and thinking, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Oh, we've, had, we've had comments before yeah. of, of people, you know, older listeners, older than us, like our, you know, we're all in our, well, Brent's 22, but <laughs> Elliot and I are in our late 30s and we, we, uh, 
people have commented being on how we reference sort of sometimes um, older queer people and the language we use around creepy old guy, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And, and it's, it's, um, and that, 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 that holds a stigma too. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. I try to, I mean, I don't know. I have such reverence for, I mean, everyone gets it. Everyone feels it. It's inevitable. One day somebody will be in my 33 year old shoes (laughs) too. (laughs) But I also take solace in knowing that like, because yeah, you take reference, you take reverence in sort of the path that they've walked and all that. But also yeah. too, guess what? A twenty-five-year-old can be an asshole. A thirty-six-year-old yeah. can be an asshole, and a fifty-year-old can be just as much of an asshole as the twenty-five-year-old. In fact, they can be worse sometimes. So Have guess you guys what? been on Data Lounge? Oh. Yikes! Oh yeah. <laughs> Oof. These websites. Those Russians got a lot of. <laughs> what would your aunt say? Brent, what would your Aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? I don't think you look a day over 45. <laughs> Fucking Ramona. Fuck you, Ramona. <laughs> My Aunt Joanne would say, Episcopalian, Shemiscopalian, they're all lunatics. <laughs> Except the Jews. <laughs> God, I'm really going into this bit hard, and I have to I have to get out of it. Yeah. It's not good. How about uh, Aunt Anne? My Aunt Anne would say, you know what? Age is just a number, and after a couple of glasses of wine, you can't count that high anyway. <laughs> So let's get crazy. She should honestly design like mugs, <laughs> sayings on mugs and, and driftwood. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to You're Making It Worse. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. I'm H37 year old Alan Scott.